Thank you so much. Well, I hear, I've heard today we've had some Zoom challenges, and, uh, and I, I want to thank you for persevering. Uh, I, I guess it's just inevitable. I, I think that Zoom was uh, just having a rough day, and we all have rough days, right? That's, that's kind of the passage we're in. It's a, it's a rough time. And, uh, and you know, um, I am, I'm thankful today that God has allowed us to get together. I, I mean, I, uh, even though it's not as I prefer. You know, I'm longing for June 7th and, and when we can start meeting again, even though we'll still be, I anticipate, part online and part here uh, and at Calvary. I'm, I'm looking forward to gathering together uh, on both of our campuses. Um, but, but what I don't want to do is, is miss today. I don't want to miss the moment. And, and we have a tendency sometimes to look forward and, and miss the joy of today. And so let's turn our face to the Lord and to God's word today. You know, uh, several years ago, I finished seminary and, and I, I was driving to Kansas City because I went to Midwestern. And as I was driving up Highway 169, which is right by the church here, uh, I was heading north and I was in Kansas and, and I started seeing these orange signs that said, hey, construction and hey, look out and all these different signs that were in front of me. And all of a sudden, as I, as I was just following the highway, cruising down the road, I, I see the reason uh, that these signs were put up. There was a, the, they directed me off the highway, and, and it said, bridge is out, detour. And I was a little annoyed at that because I had a schedule to keep, and I, was, uh, I needed to get to seminary. And, and, and you know, but I, I had to get off the highway, and then the bridge was out, and, and it took me quite a ways out of the way, about five miles out of the way, because we were in Kansas, and roads are like a long ways apart in that part of Kansas. And, and, um, and, and, and I was a little bit annoyed, but you know what I did? I followed the signs. I, I I never saw the bridge that was out, but I trusted these people that put up the sign that could see maybe further down the road than I could see. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I may have entertained this thought for a second. Hey, you know what? What do these people know? I mean, I'm in my Ford F-150 pickup truck that that bad boy just rolled 209,000 miles, so it's just getting broken in. I mean, I mean, look bridge out. I'm not afraid of some stinking bridge being out. I'm in my truck. You know, I, I, I didn't do that, you know, and, and that would, that's because I've learned from that philosopher of our age. You know, the great philosopher a few years ago, Forrest Gump. I don't know if any of you know, some of you may be too young to know Forrest Gump. Joe, do you know who Forrest Gump is? Okay, Joe's old enough to know who Forrest Gump is. Well, what did he say? Uh, uh, Forrest Gump said, stupid is, is what stupid does, right? And, uh, and that, that's Forrest's wisdom. And, and I, I chose not to be stupid. And I, I listened, I paid attention to the signs. You know, when I look at this passage that we read today, um, honestly, this, this story describes one of the most tragic events in all of history. Um, and for 3,000 years, God has given us this sign, this, this warning in Scripture. And, it's, and it stands as this moment, this, this warning for us to pay attention to. But, but you know what's interesting is as I have walked with the Lord even in my lifetime and, and interacted with, with the people of God over and over again, uh, I have watched people 
that know Christ that are that that just completely blow through this warning sign. And they say, you know, even though it's a warning that's that's been put in our lives, that they completely have this idea with sin or this attitude with sin, you know what? It's not gonna impact me. Sin is not gonna hurt me. And I've watched people that have blown through this sign. And, and you know what? I I've recognized this, not necessarily because I'm some wise pastor, but it's because I've seen this in my own life. I have recognized in my own life the, 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 the temptation, the times that I have seriously contemplated uh, rebelling against the voice of God. Knowing what God's word says, and, and, and in my own life, I face this temptation to say, you know what, my sin's not that big a deal. This won't really impact my life. But you know what? Uh, knowing that if I blow past the warnings of God, the end result of that would be complete stuckness. Now, I don't know if that's a word or not, but when I wrote it out, my, my spell check had a little red line under it articulating that that's maybe not a word. But I like that word, stuckness, um, because that describes the temptation that I've faced or the reality of my life when I've, when I've ignored God, ignored his voice, and, 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 and just embraced rebellion. And that's what David's doing here. If I'm going to summarize this message in one phrase, I want to borrow from this great pastor through history. Um, a long time ago, this pastor named John Owen, he writes this. Uh, he said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And, and, I, and if I'm going to describe this message in one sentence, that, that's really a great description. We as believers ought to be killing sin or, or it's going to kill us. Now let's acknowledge the fact that, that on the outside, when, when you just look at rebellion, when you look at sin, uh, it seems fun. It seems like it's, it's the, the right thing to do. It seems like it's thrilling or fulfilling. But, but the end result of sin is always this devastating crash. And that is true for us. And, and you know, when you, when, you, when you look at the tragedy of this story that we just read, you know, the, the real tragedy of it is it's, it's the people that this involves. Because when you look at the people in the story, um, these are the actions of the people of God. Now, this is not, uh, um, you know, lost people that are acting lost. That's not who we're talking about here. People that don't know better, don't know Christ, or don't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. No, that's not who we're talking about here. We're talking about the the king that God established. We're talking about the people that should know better. And this is why it's a warning for us. And this is why it's powerful for us and important for us to turn our face to, to the whole counsel of God and not skip over a passage like this. Now, now we, let's recognize a few things. And, and I know last week we kind of did some foreshadowing in, in Proverbs 31. We're coming back to 2 Samuel. And in, verse, in chapters 10 through 12, uh, you see that at this point, things in the life of David, it's, the kingdom, it's going great. I mean, I mean we, we saw this a couple of weeks ago that, that, um, 
that, that in the midst of these great victories, in the midst of, of this time of blessing, the king takes a huge tumble in his life. And we think, how can this happen? Let, let's, before we kind of jump into Nathan's confrontation of David, let's get some backstory. Chapter 10, I'll flip over to chapter 10. It kind of reveals this, uh, this really, this moment of, of shift in the blessing of God. And, and you see how, uh, if you remember in, in, in 2 Samuel 5 through 9, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that, that God was blessing David, that, that God was showing grace to David. The kingdom was established in this little bitty nation state among these world powers are, are now getting all these victories and they're overcoming and, and they're, they're being established. And, and, and when you, when you think about chapter 10, you see this victory continues. And, and David is moving to the top. And then verses 11, or chapter 11, 1 through 5, you see this hard fall. Let's look at this. Chapter 11, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says this, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Now, now you look at this. Right here, chapter, chapter 11, verse 1, David's not where he's supposed to be. I mean, it's a time, it says, in the spring of the year when kings go out to battle. Where's David? He's in Jerusalem. He's not out with his army. He's not where he's supposed to be. Notice the details. Let's pay attention to this. Um, he arose from his couch in the afternoon. Think about that. He got up from his couch in the afternoon. I would argue that if it's in the afternoon and we're hanging out on the couch, that's probably not where we're supposed to be, right? And look at verse 2. It happened one late, late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. So you look at this. I mean, I'm all for rest. We need some rest. But let me tell you something. This is not rest. This is idleness. You see David, look at verse, verse 3. Well, what was he doing? He, or, or continues verse 2, excuse me. Um, he was doing this curious search. He was walking on the roof. He got up from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from a roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Now, now this is this time of idleness. Now, idleness in my life, in your life, that usually doesn't lead us to a good result. I mean, there hasn't been very many times in my life that I just sat idle and it produced something positive for me and, and, for, and for you either. Idleness is a, is a struggle and this is where David is. He's, he's, um, he's in this curious search and, he, oh, I, I just want to, I wonder what this looks like. Let's hear that. Aren't we like that? Aren't we curious about sin? Don't sometimes we want to look up something, oh, that's bad, oh boy, that's terrible, ooh, they shouldn't be doing that. You know, we get into this curious search, whether it's, uh, you know, on your phone, on your iPad, on your computer, uh, driving around in your car. Look, look, this is kind of what David's doing. He's in this curious search. And look what he did next. This you see the progression here. He starts to inquire, it says. And, and what does that do? That inevitably leads 
to, this is where he busts through the warning signs. He busts through the gates. He starts to inquire. He ignores the warnings. Verse 3, and David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, the author of Samuel, Samuel's dead, right? But, but they continue to write this book. The, author, the, the authors write, and they do something very important here. And I want us to notice this. He points out that Bathsheba is a daughter. Men, I want to talk to you for a second. Look, this is a very important point to remember. Bathsheba um, is a daughter. Let's, let's keep this in mind, men. Can I put a thought in your mind? Can, can we allow, well, excuse me, can we allow the Lord to, to, put, a, to put a thought in all of our minds, men? That, that this woman who was the object of David's lust was someone's daughter. Man, I'm about to walk my daughter down the aisle in a matter of days. And you know, in our family, you know, we're, we've had like nine wedding plans. And, and in the COVID crisis, I, we can't invite everybody that we've uh, invited. It's just family and, and bridal party at this point because of the restrictions. But let me tell you something. I'm about to walk my daughter down an aisle to be married. And men, I want you to think about the next time that some woman is the object of your lust. Would you recognize that this is someone's daughter? And, and this is what David overlooked. This is what the writer of Samuel does. He, he humanizes this girl, Bathsheba, who is actually the victim of sexual abuse. She's, I mean, bathing on the roof. This was not her being, uh, uh, like, exploiting herself. No, that's where you bathed is on the roof. I, David knew that. David was in the kingdom. He was higher than everybody else. This is not Bathsheba's failure here. This is David's failure. And I'll tell you, the, uh, and she's the daughter of Eliam. Now, this is not, the, the travesty of this is not just that, that this is someone's daughter, but it's, who, it's also a double tragedy. It's who this daughter is. I mean, it says right here in verse, verse 4, um, or verse 3, so David, uh, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, Eliam, uh, these were not just, this is not just a man. Uriah and Eliam was not just a man. These were men close to David. These were his fighting men. Eliam was a fighting man of David. Uriah was one of David's fighting men. Have you ever heard of Ahithophel? Have you ever heard of that guy? Ahithophel? You know who he is? He's Bathsheba's grandfather. I want you to look over. I want you to flip over a couple of chapters to 2 Samuel 16. I want you to notice this. 2 Samuel 16, verse 23. This is Ahithophel. This is who he is in David's life. It says in 2 Samuel 16, 23, now the advice of Ahithophel gave in those days was like someone asking about a word from God. Such was the regard that both David and Absalom had for Ahithophel's advice. 
Ahithophel is a man that David regarded his word as a word from God. And Bathsheba is Ahithophel's granddaughter. So we don't know the ages of these men, but it's likely that, that David and Ahithophel, these are men, they're about the same age. It's likely, I, we don't know exactly. But, but I, I would argue that Eliam, he's younger than David. Uriah is younger, he's a young man. Bathsheba is a young girl. And David is a predator and takes advantage of these men that were loyal to him. And, and then it gets worse. It gets worse, verse 4. So David sent messengers, chapter 11, verse 4. So David sent messengers and, and, and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. In verse 5, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Now, now you know what? Gosh, we got to feel this. How could David so quickly go from this time of blessing, this, this time of, of success, to this incredibly hard fall? Well, let, let's, there's, a, there's an important point for us. And I don't want to miss it. Point number one is this, that, that times, and stre- times of strength and prosperity are often incredibly dangerous for God's people. And I want us to recognize this, that, that, that sometimes we look at this, this time that we're in, in a COVID crisis, or a time of doubt and faith and trust and persecution and difficulty. You, do you realize that that's, that's a time really of strength when we are depending on the Lord? It's like, what is this, 2 Corinthians 12, 10? says this, for, for the sake of Christ, then I am content in my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, in times of weakness, we are depending on the Lord. But, but the things that we have to caution ourselves with is in times of strength. I mean, in times where things are going well, that's when we are susceptible. Why? Because we sang it. We just sang it in, in, in the song that Joe led us in. Prone to wander. We are prone to wander, aren't we? We, are, we have a tendency to wander away from the Lord. And, and we forget this. That, 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 and you look at this. God had been moving in David's life. And, and this is a leader that, that had experienced grace and mercy and the, the blessing of God. And yet... He falls hard. Think about that. He he knew better. Think about us. We are people that that, that we know forgiveness. We know um, the the blessing of God. We we sit with the Lord. We know his mercy. We we serve the Lord. We've been blessed by the Lord. That's us as the people of God. One of the biggest lessons in the book of Samuel is that this is, a, this is a message to us as the people of God, not just to me. This is us. And, and the, the reality is the people of God are, are prone to wonder. We're prone to, to flirt with sin. We're the ones who face this temptation to rebel against God. And this is why I pray that we recognize the devastation of sin. And we know about sin. What does sin do? Sin satisfies for a short time, every time. Now think about that. Yeah, it's satisfying for a little while. 
but it satisfies for a short time every time. And, and I, I pray we don't forget this. We need this reminder that Satan sets traps for us. Satan hates us, and that old wisdom is right. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It has a price tag that's higher than you want to pay. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And this is true. And all sin, what does it do? It leads to the, the same result of brokenness, agony, disappointment, despair. This is what sin does. And, and David knew this. And so let's embrace this. Point two is so important for us that, that every believer leans towards the dark trap of sin. We lean towards that. We, we are curious about it. And, and this is this story that has been in front of us, in front of God's people for 3,000 years. It's one of these glaring signs for us that says, look, sin will hurt you. It will destroy you. It will wreck you. And when what you see in the book of Samuel, from now on, we're going to watch, we're going we're to see unfold the ramifications of this moment right here. The ramifications of a sin. And I would guess, I, I would guess that if David could have gotten a, a, a forward glimpse of the devastation of this, of this adultery, of this lustful moment, if he would have gotten a foreshadowing that, that this moment would, would cause the death of three of his sons. Oh, let me tell you that. I cannot imagine losing my son. And if David would have gotten the foreshadowing that this moment right here would cause the death of his son, that this moment would cause the death of, of some of his most loyal fighting men, some of his soldiers, because that's what happened. Several soldiers were killed in, along with Uriah. If David would have recognized that this would have carried with him through even the next generation and generation, and that for 3,000 years, this would be the example of what not to do. I guarantee you David would have said, I'm not going to do that. And I, and I pray that we embrace this. Now look at verse 6 in chapter 11. It says this, And David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And, and when Uriah came to him, David asked Joab uh, how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Look what, look what Uriah says. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there, and there followed with him, followed him a present from the king. Look at verse 9 in chapter 11. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with the servants of his lord and did not go to his house. Uriah, Uriah was like, I'm not going to my house. And David was like, Uriah, what are you doing? Go home. Go see your wife. I'm giving you a blessing. I'm giving you a gift. Look what he says. Verse 11, Uriah, um, Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I, go, shall I then go to my house to eat, drink, and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, well, remain here today also, and, and tomorrow I will send you back. And Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. You know, David's wearing him down. David's like, okay, I'm going to just let him just hang out here. He's going to go see his wife, but he doesn't. 
Uriah remained strong. And um, verse 13, and David invited him and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on this couch with a servant of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Look, Uriah, even in drunkenness, is obedient to the Lord and to his king. He's loyal to his soldiers. And so what does David do? He puts a death sentence in his hand. David writes a sentence of death. And, 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 and the story goes, David says, Uriah, I want you to take this letter to Joab. And, and he goes and, and he says, and the letter says to Joab, hey, I want you to go into this fighting. I want you to send Uriah to the worst part of the battle. And, and then when he's in the fiercest fighting, I want you to pull back. And I want to make sure Uriah is killed. And I can imagine that scene unfolding as Uriah is bravely going, okay, Joab, I'll go to the worst part of the battle. Bring it on. I'll I'll defend my brothers. And as Uriah leads into the fiercest part of the battle, I can see these other men that are like, I'm going to stand with Uriah. And all these men together are killed as the soldiers pull back. Uriah dies. Thinking, how can this be? What does sin do? Sin hardens our heart to the Lord. That's what it does. It hardens our heart. This is David. His heart was hard to the Lord. Sin compels us to cover up and hide, doesn't it? We want to cover up our sin. We want to hide our sin. You know, sin, what does it do? It isolates us from accountability. I mean, we want to be isolated here. That's what David, it's where he is. And this is why I want you to know that, uh, you know, when you think about this point, that we're in a time of strength, you need to memorize this verse. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 and 13, this is something you need to memorize. I memorized it a long time ago. It says this, if you, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful so that you do not fall. It's an interesting start of that passage. Not if you think you're weak, be careful. No, if you think you're standing firm, be careful so that you do not fall. For no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. See, this is an important passage. Because what is... 1 Corinthians 10, it's this context of these Old Testament stories that we've been given are examples to us, are warnings to us. And so the Bible tells us this is this, is this example for 3,000 years of stop blowing past the warning signs of sin. Let me tell you something, none of us can handle it. But, but in comes Nathan. Nathan, the uh, prophet, I, I said to the Lord today, Lord, I can't wait to meet Nathan when I get to heaven. I mean, Nathan is this prophet of God who, who is one of the boldest prophets that, that are written about in Scripture. Because he goes to David and he gets up in his grill here. We read that. Nathan gets in his grill. Let me tell you something. If you've got someone in your life that loves you enough to get up in your grill, in your face, to confront you, you ought to thank the Lord for that. Let me tell you something. If you don't have somebody in your life that's willing to get up in your grill, you ought to, man, you ought to be warned by that. You ought to, 
you ought to change that. You ought to allow somebody in your life to get up in your grill. And, and you know what? Look at 2 Samuel 12. We read it. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. How cool is that? Like, be grateful when God sends someone to you to confront you. You know, that's happened to me in my life, that God has sent people to confront me at times. And, and you know what? I've wanted to resist that. I've wanted to, to, to be frustrated by that. You know what I've learned to do and I, we need to learn to do is be grateful for that. Be grateful for the people that, that are sharpen us. Proverbs says, be, be faithful are the wounds of a friend. Goodness gracious, we gotta hear that. The Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and he said to him, verse, verse one, chapter 12, there were two men in a certain city, one rich, the other poor. And one man, rich man had flocks and herds. And Nathan tells this narrative, this story, he made it up. This guy had a sheep and he, and he was like, oh, this is my, my blessed, my, my one sheep that I love. And he took care of it and he cherished it. And this rich man who had all kinds of sheep, he gets a guest that comes in and the rich man's like, yeah, I don't want to kill one of my sheep. I'm going to kill this guy's sheep. And David, here's this story. David, who, who was a lover of the underdog, here's his story. And David stands up and he goes, who is that man? That man should die. How dare that guy do that? I want to know his name. And Nathan, man, with boldness, power, I can just imagine Nathan standing up and saying, David, you're that man. You are that man. Man, it says, verse five, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And then Nathan says, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. David said to Nathan. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of, the, of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and into your arms gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And notice this, notice verse eight. Don't miss verse eight. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? What does he say to David? David, you think this is little? I would have done so much more for you. And I think about the times in my life. What about the times in your life when you just said, God, I just don't want to obey you. God, I want to go my own way. I don't want to honor you. And think of God, um, what does God say to us? Look, he would do so much more for us. Are you kidding me? He would do so much more. And then he recounts, you've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites, David. 
Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you had did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun, out in public, he says. Um, For you um, did it secretly, but I will do this before all of Israel. And David said to Nathan, look at how he responds. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you will die. And Nathan went to his house. You know, think about Uriah. Who's Uriah? Uriah is, think about this. He's not a Jewish guy. He's got a Jewish name, yes. But Uriah is Uriah the Hittite, right? Not the Jew. Think about this. God's people are called to to be the priest nation, to, to communicate salvation to the world. Uriah is one of these men who, who had come to the Lord, who has converted to the Lord. And, and he, his whole Hittite history was not of the people of God, but yet God grafted him in like us. And, and look, he was wronged by the king. What does sin do? What does David, what, what do we need to feel here? Sin blinds us to long-term consequences, doesn't it? It blinds us to this. Sin is, hardens our heart to the Lord, compels us to cover and hide. It isolates us from accountability. But then you see David, in one instance, he is this example of what not to do, but in the next instance, he shows us what to do. He repents. What does David do when he hears this? Look at, look at chapter 12. He says, the, he says, look, um, I've sinned, I've fallen short, I've made a mistake, I've, I've done wrong. And, and he repents. And see, here's what I want us to see, that repentance is a constant call for God's people. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking repentance is just a one-time act. And, and yes, there's a day that I repented of my sin and I began a relationship with Christ. But, but let's not miss this fact that repentance is a constant call for God's people. We are constantly called to repent. And David, in, in one inst- instance, is the greatest failure of, that we've ever seen. But he also shows us how to repent. And let's catch this real quick. Look at, I want you to flip over to Psalm 51. This is this famous psalm. We know this psalm. This is the psalm that David wrote right after Nathan confronted him with Bathsheba. If you see in Psalm 51, that's the title. It says, this is the psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba, David repents. What does he write? Look at this. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. 
What, what does repentance do? Repentance, it, it, it puts complete hope in the mercy of God. And this is what repentance does. And, and you see this, Nathan, after Nathan's bold confrontation, David begins right where he should begin in, the, in pleading for the mercy of God. And this is a constant call for us as believers. Repentance also, what does it do? It owns up to the sin that was committed. Look at what David says in verse 2. Wash me thoroughly, in Psalm 51, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and sin, in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And see, we recognize this, that we, this was familiar. It's like the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, look, when you lust, when you, lust is adultery. Anger is murder. What is he doing? David is acknowledging that, that this sin began in my heart. It's like affairs. People don't all of a sudden go, oh my goodness, I'm, I have no clothes on with this other woman. Oh my goodness. How did that happen? No, affairs begin way early. Affairs begin in the heart. Rebellion begins in the heart. And this is what we are, why we have to be honest and con confront this. And, and when you look at David's confession, you, it's perfect because confession is directed to God first and then extends to others. And this is what David does. Verse 4 points out this amazing truth that, God, I've sinned against you. But he confesses this. He extends it to others. Look at what he says. Lord, verse 7, purge me with hyssop, then I shall, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones, Lord, you have broken, rejoice. God sometimes breaks our bones. He disciplines us. We see this. He says, hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10, Psalm 51, verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me, to uphold me. Then, Lord, I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. You know, David, it's a beautiful picture. Now, here's, here's how I want to end today. You, you know this is right you know this is right. And I, and I want us to think about this. I think it's already on the screen for you, but, but you know it's right when forgiven sin continues to sting. I think back on my own life, sins that I've committed, it still stings a bit. I, th I think about like Robin and I, when, in Easter time, we, we, we are compelled to watch the Passion of the Christ. Not because we're like, oh, that'll, that'll be a fun night to watch that movie. No. We, we, we feel it. It's a, it. It stings when you look at Christ on the cross, knowing that, that he went to the cross for my sin. And see, David, 
We're going to see his story unfold. And, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful in my life. I'm thankful that, that we get to see this example of, of how sin continues to sting. And you may say, oh, well, wait a minute. Oh, I thought Jesus took away the sting of sin. No, he took away the sting of death. But let me tell you something. Sin has consequences. And I've had men in my life that have used this passage that have looked at me and said, you know what, Chris? I'm going to ask God to forgive me, and I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to go marry this other woman. And you know what? Ignore the fact that that's going to cause consequences that will extend to generations. So I don't know if, if today you are uh, flirting with, with sin, whether it's an affair. Stop! Stop! Listen to the warning sign. The bridge is out! Maybe you're thinking about, well, when I go to college, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Stop! The bridge is out. Maybe it's you're harboring a bitterness that's going to turn to anger. Stop! The bridge is out. Maybe it's in your business and you have this working from home and you can get by with stuff and you want to you maybe do something unethical or not right. Stop! The bridge is out. Man, this story of failure. What does sin do? It leads us to perpetual stuckness. Stop. The bridge is out. I think about Genesis 4-7, one of my favorite passages. Remember that? God says to Cain, Cain, remember him? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, and you must master it. Now look, you may be here and you're lost. And you, you're like, where's the power? How can I master sin? You can't on your own. You can't. But, but look, that's why David prays in Psalm 51, before the Holy Spirit indwells us, right? Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. It's not like he's losing your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. But let me tell you something. I remember the day that I, my mom led me to Christ. I realized I was lost. I needed a Savior, and I was young. But yet I knew that there was something missing in me. And Jesus saved me. And, and let me tell you something. The result of that is 1 Corinthians 10. That if you think you're standing firm, be careful so you do not fall. For no temptation has seized you. And what I've seen over and over in my life is God providing a door to escape. And my prayer is, Maybe it's just the right time for you as a believer who knows better. Walk through the door. Make sure you have people in your life that are going, I'm going to hold the door open for you. Get in the door. That's Nathan. Man, if you don't have somebody in your life that's getting up in your grill, that's a warning to you. If you have somebody that is confronting you, oh, be grateful. Thank the Lord for that today. Call them today and thank them. Look, um, I want you to know, 
victory over sin and death. It begins with a relationship with Christ. And if you're watching today and you don't know Christ, oh, we're here to help you. And, and we want to help you come to know him because that's where it begins. And I realize this message is not necessarily for the lost crowd. This is to God's people. Folks, we know better. And let's, let's stop acting lost. And let's live surrendered to Christ. Why? Because there is work to do. We have a job to do. There are other Hittites, if you will, people that are apart from God that need to know him. And how are they going to know him? Through us, through our witness, through us being ambassadors for Christ. Oh, let's follow the Lord. If you need help today, you're a believer and need help, you could call. We'll, we'll connect with you. You could go to that website, fbcowasso.org forward slash pray. We'll help you. Would you allow the Lord to move you today, to stop you today? Lord Jesus, may we have ears to hear you. May we have eyes to see you. Would you give us the boldness to follow you today? Thank you for your word and the warnings that you give us in scripture. And may we take you at your word because you see what we cannot see. So Lord, lead us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.